The Central Election Commission on Thursday put up a notice announcing this year's local elections. This year, the voting day will be November 26. About 19 million people are eligible to cast a vote, including 760,000 first-time voters. Also, on the same day, a constitutional referendum will be held to decide whether to lower the voting age in Taiwan to 18. A flurry of flashes as the official puts up a notice for the 2022 local elections, symbolizing the start of the electoral season. Taiwan will be voting for local government positions, including the heads and councillors of special municipalities, counties and cities on November 26. According to the Central Election Commission, about 19.3 million people will be eligible to vote, including 760,000 first-time voters. More than 17,000 polling stations will be set up around Taiwan. Registration for candidates will run from August 29th to September 2nd. All in all, 11,023 officials will be elected to local government positions. There will be more than 300,000 staff working on Election Day. We'll hold three nationwide practice drills. Our goal is to ensure that no votes are left uncounted in the computer system. The local elections are a huge undertaking, even more so this year. On November 26, Taiwan will not just vote for its local officials, but also in its first ever constitutional referendum. The constitution has been amended on seven occasions, but each time the amendments were done by the National Assembly. November 26 will be the first time in our country's history that the public will vote on constitutional amendment. The vote will decide whether people aged 18 and 19 will have the right to vote and be elected in the future. Ruling and opposition parties have been urging supporters to go out and cast a yes vote to lower the voting age to 18. After all, the threshold for passing is considerably higher than regular referendums, needing more than 9.65 million votes to pass. The CEC is also calling on the public to exercise their right and start a new chapter for Taiwan's democracy. Champion gymnast Li Zhikai, also known as the Prince of Palmer Horse, has returned to his hometown, Yilan, to train. Earlier this month, Li showcased a new routine during the national qualifying competition for the 2022 World Artistic Gymnastics Championships. He scored 15.5 points, the highest so far in his career. Li hopes the change of scenery will eventually help him achieve the goal of winning a gold medal at the 2024 Paris Olympics. Arms open wide and doing a handstand, champion gymnast Li Zhikai stretches his legs. Next, he secures both legs on the pommel horse and starts doing sit-ups. And this is just for warming up. Last year, Li bagged a silver for pommel horse at the Tokyo Olympics. Now, thanks to arrangements by his coach, he's back in his hometown Elan for training. I've been at the National Sports Training Center for a long time, so I'm happy that my coach made plans for me to train in my hometown, Elan. It's a change of mentality and also planning and preparation for training. Earlier this month, Lee showcased a new routine at a national qualifying competition, which earned him a score of 15.5 points. 
It was the highest score in his pommel horse career to date. After competing at the 2022 World Artistic Gymnastics Championships in Liverpool, England, Lee is expected to qualify for the next edition of the Summer Olympics in Paris in 2024, where he has his eyes on winning gold. The new moves have only been successful domestically. It has yet to receive recognition on the international stage and be showcased internationally. That's the goal I'm aiming for next. We hope he can showcase the moves at the Paris World Challenge Cup that would get international recognition so that Lee is more likely to score gold at the Paris Olympics. For Lee, returning to his hometown to train is a chance to change his state of mind. The athlete says he hopes to achieve new heights in his career and maybe even bag home a gold medal at Paris 2024. The National Health Insurance Card is now easier to use than ever, even in remote locations. NHI officials have rolled out a digital NHI card so doctors can access patient information online, even in places where technology is limited. That could help residents of Taiwan's rural communities get more consistent medical care. For residents of outlying islands, mountains and rural areas, using a national health insurance card has not always been easy. Problems with data connection can impact patient care rights, with some doctors unable to access cloud-based data. But now, using a phone and a virtual NHI card, all those problems are gone. In home visits, we bring our whole team into the patient's house for the appointment. The patient often lives deep in the mountains, in the most remote areas. A round trip might take five hours. You can imagine, when we arrive at the patient's home, it can take twice as long as normal to access the cloud database with an NHI card, or even longer. We always use the NHI card for medical appointments. Now, we use the digital NHI card. It's more convenient. For example, if it's hard to have an appointment, now we have the digital NHI card, which is more convenient. NHI officials have made a special tour of rural areas to promote the service, encouraging residents of small villages to set up the digital card and showing them how to use it. Sometimes, when medical professionals go to remote areas or outlying islands, it's extremely heavy to carry a card reader with them. There's a QR code on the digital NHI card, so the doctor just needs to scan the QR code at the appointment, and then they can see the cloud data, just the same as if you had scanned the physical NHI card. In the post-COVID era, NHI officials hope digital technology can extend medical access for remote areas, offering more home visits, remote care and online appointments. Back in 2018, Academia Sinica launched the Taiwan Precision Medicine Initiative together with 33 hospitals across 16 medical systems in Taiwan. The goal of the initiative was to develop Taiwan's precision medicine ecosystem, which allows physicians to better understand each patient's characteristics via genetic analysis. As of June this year, more than 500,000 people have taken part in the plan with hopes of reaching the 1 million milestone next year.
Each patient experiences illnesses in unique ways. Previously, these differences would be shrugged off as caused by the distinct characteristics in patients' bodies. But now, these variations are quantifiable. It's all thanks to a collaboration between Academia Sinica and the medical world, which have built up a precision medicine ecosystem. Precision medicine is not just about precision genetic tests, but also about environmental factors, lifestyle, and diets. So precision health involves precision nutrition and precision exercise, as well as habits and environmental factors. The DNA in the blood can be extracted and turned into a gene map through Taiwan's precision medicine chips. Previously, diseases were researched individually as researchers looked for specific patient profiles. But now, in the Taiwan Precision Medicine Initiative, the research focuses on individuals regardless of their conditions. The new system combines patients and gene maps, allowing researchers to investigate many times of frequent diseases simultaneously. The TPMI allows for more effectiveness in recruiting patients, while promoting disease prevention and the safe administration of medication. It also allows health data to be used in a sustainable manner. We can take blood samples to examine the genetic variation among patients. In practice, there are many variations. Perhaps everyone has one. Through these variations, we can predict how diseases could manifest in the future. This is a way in which Taiwan's medicine is shifting from treatment to prevention. Over the past three years, members of the public and enterprises in Taiwan and abroad have raised more than 170 million NT in research funding, and the project has recruited more than 500,000 participants. The next milestone for the initiative is to reach 1 million people to better understand their body's characteristics and stay healthy with precision medicine. Several Taiwanese companies with plants in China have seen operations disrupted by power cuts in the provinces of Sichuan, Jiangsu and Zhejiang. Over in the municipality of Chongqing, which produces 57 million laptops annually, the local government on Tuesday ordered factories to shut down until August 24th. The Taiwanese firms affected by the power cuts include tech giants Kampol Electronics and Honghai. Let's hear from the company's chairs. It's all right. We made some adjustments to production, so it seems to be okay. But if it drags on for longer, of course it will have an impact on production. Has the power rationing affected our plants? Of course it has. But just how big will the impact be? To know that, we'll have to see the efforts of our colleagues over there. You have to factor in inventory and whether they can overcome this period by working overtime in the future. We expect some impact, but nothing severe. Honghai Chair Yang Liu says operations have become more complicated now amid the impact of climate change. He says the company has carried out simulations to collect data and decide the best course of action. To raise awareness of cerebral palsy, a new exhibition is on at the Songshan Cultural and Creative Park. The exhibition displays artworks by people with cerebral palsy, featuring visuals with interesting facts about the condition. FTB reporter Stephanie Yang has the details. 
This is Liu Ming, a Golden Bell Award-winning radio host. At the exhibition, he introduces artworks created by people with cerebral palsy. By sharing his own story, Liu hopes to inspire other people with disabilities to chase their dreams despite hardships. I invited others with cerebral palsy to come on my radio station. I hope that through talking about it in the media, I can let everyone know more about cerebral palsy and help make their journey smoother. I have a moderate disability, so ever since I was young, I've thought about what kind of job I could do. I fail physically, but I score 100% above the neck. So when I was looking for a job, I looked for work that I would use my strengths above my neck. It occurred to me that I have no problems with my speech, so I decided to become a radio host. I have been hosting for more than 30 years, and I'm the first person with a physical disability to win a Golden Bell Award. At the age of three, Leo was diagnosed with polio. The doctor said he would not live over 30 years. Those words did not stop Leo from chasing his dreams. Not only is Leo a successful radio show host, he also started a performance troupe comprised of people with disabilities that travel around the world to perform. As long as people give us a chance, I believe that we can do as well as other people. It's not a problem with ability, but a problem with opportunity. What we need most urgently is a chance. To raise awareness of cerebral palsy, the Cerebral Palsy Association is holding an exhibition at Songsang Cultural and Creative Park. The exhibition not only introduces interesting facts about cerebral palsy, it also showcases bags and artworks made by people with cerebral palsy. According to the most recent statistics, the employment rate of people with cerebral palsy is the lowest among all disability categories. Our association cooperates with 7-Eleven to collect waste, such as milk bottles and PET bottles, which we use to make bags. The young people with cerebral palsy who work with us make buttons for the bags. We refer to this as a 1 plus 1 employment model. In addition to increasing the income of families of people with cerebral palsy, it's also a big affirmation in their life. In the exhibition, we introduce the causes of cerebral palsy and its effect on the brain. We also display the works created by these young people with cerebral palsy, which are their accomplishments from their work. The exhibition will be held at the Songsan Cultural and Creative Park until August 21st. FTV reporter Stephanie Yang and Lu Bochong in Taipei. One of Taipei's most bustling shopping districts is in crisis this summer. Gongguan and the area around Taiwan National Taiwan University were once a shopping mecca. But many of the busiest streets are now full of empty stores. The growth of online shopping is threatening the survival of brick-and-mortar stores. Many business owners say rental rates for businesses must come down to reflect the times. I'm here at Section 3 of Tingzhou Road. A row of steel grills has already been pulled down. But worst of all, it's just one street away on Section 4 of Roosevelt Road. These used to be closed stores. Now, they all say space to rent. With signs torn down and metal grills pulled up, you can still see traces of the old stores behind the windows. Gongguan Shopping District is deserted. Store owners that have been here four decades say it's a shadow of its former self. 
I only come and open the store at 2 p.m. Nobody comes in earlier than that. It's almost entirely trading online now. Gongguan is light years away from how it was 30 or 40 years ago. It's really changed so much, so much. Business is about a third of what it was. None of the closed stores and snack vendors here have escaped the hit. As business falters, many landowners have not cut rents fast enough. A first-floor store on one of these roads costs 200,000 NT to 240,000 NT to rent. Walking around the district, about 25 of 100 storefronts are empty. This street was once famous for sports equipment stores. They began closing in July, and the stores that remain are struggling. But the reason the stores around here shut down is because the rent is too high. We used to be open 24-7. Now we're working with the city government, for example. We have a lot of historical relics in Gongguan, as well as the Museum of Drinking Water. The reservoir dates from the Japanese colonial era. Those bring in some visitors. Online shopping is having a big impact on retail districts. The Gongguan Business District Association hopes to shift the appeal of the area to market something you can't get online. A concert in memory of former Japanese Prime Minister Abe Shinzo will be on show this Saturday at the Taipei International Convention Center. The Taiwan Good Association, which has organized the event, has put together a lineup of Taiwanese and Japanese performers. One of them is Oyoma Keshi. He is a strong supporter of Abe, who's composed a song in the late Prime Minister's honor. Let's hear from him. When former Prime Minister Abe was still with us, I deeply respected him. He was Japan's longest-serving Prime Minister, and he contributed deeply to Japan's economy. I hope that my song will reach the heavens so that he can hear it. The concert for Abe was possible thanks to the sponsorship of many enthusiastic enterprises in Taiwan. No matter whether we support the ruling party or the opposition, everyone can come together to pay the respects to Abe at the concert. Abe once said that an emergency in Taiwan would be an emergency for Japan. That was a huge morale boost for us from our dear neighbor. The concert will also feature a performance from a Japanese choir as well as Taiwanese pop singer Zhen Xingmei. Speaking virtually at a Chinese forum on Thursday, KMT official Lin Zhujia said that his party abides by the 1992 consensus and opposes Taiwan independence. The official is currently in China as part of a KMT delegation led by party vice chair Andrew Xia. The comments have drawn backlash in Taiwan. Critics say Lin was parroting rhetoric from the CCP and breaking assurances that the delegation would not get involved in politics while in China. A DPP lawmaker says the official's words and his visit to China are an endorsement of China that hurts Taiwan. KMT Mainland Affairs Department head Lin Zhujia, who is currently under quarantine in China, on Thursday virtually attended a cross-strait relations forum taking place in China's Henan province. Lin Zhujia during his remote address on video, Lin Zhujia said the KMT will continue promoting exchanges and collaboration between the two sides of the strait on the basis of upholding the 1992 consensus and opposing Taiwan independence. Lin's words have been criticized in Taiwan as being similar to the rhetoric of Liu Jie, the head of China's Taiwan Affairs Office. 
Critics say his participation in the forum also contradicts assurances by KMT officials that the members of a delegation led by KMT Vice Chair Andrew Xia to China would not engage with high-level Chinese officials or touch on political issues. This is an academic conference. Around July, I received the invitation. It has nothing at all to do with the itinerary of this visit. The KMT has let the cat out of the bag. Didn't they say they weren't going to participate in political events? That they weren't going to talk about politics? By insisting on going to China for bootlicking and toadying, they are stepping all over Taiwan and acting like China's political sycophants. Meanwhile, the KMT tried to intercede for Lin, saying he did not act beyond the scope of the party's charter and manifesto, nor that of Taiwan's constitution. What's wrong with communicating with the other side of the strait? Where the DPP fails, the KMT must step in. Lin served as deputy minister at the Mainland Affairs Council for four years, from 2012 to 2016. His former subordinates at the Mainland Affairs Council can now see him on TV backing China. Their former superior has now gone to the other side of the strait, singing the same tune as Liu Jiayi. What should we make of that? Frankly, because of the visit to China, the KMT is being seen as China's doormat. They're being humiliated. They're being seen as a beggar of sorts. There is not a single ounce of dignity. It's a move that misleads international society, complies with China. It endorses China and hurts Taiwan. This is saying among us Taiwanese, the rat bites the hand that feeds it. The lawmaker criticized Lin, saying Lin knew what was going to happen at the conference. He added that Xia's guarantee that the itinerary would be entirely non-official had been a blatant lie.